Hello and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast, brought to you by the Youth and Children's Ministry Unit of the Salvation Army in the UK and Republic of Ireland. My name is Matt White and in each episode I'll be inviting a guest to take a hypothetical hike with me as we find out about their real life journey to this point. Along the way, they'll make four choices and answer four questions. My guest for this episode is Lieutenant Colonel Dean Pallant. Dean is the Secretary for Communications for the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom Territory with the Republic of Ireland. Dean completed his doctorate in theology at King's College London and his latest book, To Be Like Jesus, Christian Ethics for a 21st Century Salvation Army, was published in 2020. It was lovely to chat to Dean, so let's get into it. Hello Dean, thanks for joining us. Hello Matt, thank you very much, great to be with you. It's lovely to see you. Now I was doing a little bit of counting up earlier and I think we've known each other for 20 years now. Yep, that'll be about right. I think that's probably about right. I I met you when I was one years old, so that must be (laughs) pretty... I think I was was probably 18 or 19 when we first met in in Ireland and then uh, I was involved in a few things at THQ and you were involved in those things and we sort of our paths crossed quite a bit over the next sort of number of years but it's it's been a few years since we uh, caught up so for the people listening tell a bit about what you do and a little bit about your family and and who you are. Sure so um, I was born in Zimbabwe and um, lived there did all my schooling there um, and went to university in Cape Town and then met my wife Iron when I moved over to be to train to be a Salvation Army officer which was in 1991 and so I was commissioned in 93 and since then, um, we've had a wonderful range of really interesting appointments um, from um, being core officers uh, twice in the UK at Woodbridge and, and then later at uh, Rugby. We were also at Chicken Carter Hospital in Zambia for four years. Iron is a doctor, so she was able to um, practice her medicine. And my background in Africa uh, was useful in being the administration manager at, at Chicken Carter Hospital. And, um, and then the time that we were knowing working with each other was when I was at THQ actually in the communications service I was editor of Salvationist for three years um, and I'm back there now as the secretary for communications so that means all the fundraising is in my my team the media the PR the public affairs work the ecumenical work international heritage center which is actually Mm. really interesting Um, because they also look after all the records of the army. So all the records management. Mm. So everything to do with our how we keep emails, mm. how we keep documents. Mm. It's, it's really interesting. It's mm. not just William Booth's letters. It's all the contemporary stuff. Yeah. Um, and in between that time, we were at international headquarters for, um, for 12, 12 years. Wow. And we had uh, four years in New York representing the Salvation Army at the UN. And then previous to that, we had seven years at IHQ. And and really, I always say it was seven gap years. Mm. You know, we just could travel around the world, mm. see fantastic stuff that mm. the army was doing. It was a massive privilege. Mm. I've got a son and a daughter. Lawrence is married. He's married to Marjay. And Marjay um, and he are both doctors. Mm-hmm. They're in Taunton. And Lawrence has just started his train to be a pediatrician. Wow. So that's what he's doing for the next um, six or seven years in the Bristol uh, Taunton area wow. and um, and uh, Rachel uh, lives with us she finished a degree in Southampton and she now works for the home office so yeah it's good to have a home wow. and um, constant discussions about London house prices that's 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 what happens in our family yes. it's, uh, it's just fine it's good to have her here and we're, we're, we're glad that we can give a base to her yeah, while she uh, while she starts off in her career amazing oh that's fabulous now before we get started we need to make two of your choices so the first two choices are this uh, where are we walking now you've talked about a lot of places you've lived so I'm intrigued as to where you're going to choose where is this hypothetical hike taking place yeah, so I struggled with this a bit. I'd love to take you to Victoria Falls um, mm. and do Wangi National Park. 
I'd love to take you to Cape Town um, because that is uh, where my mum lives wow. um, and it is just beautiful, the Cape Peninsula mm. and Table Mountain, although we could, we could do that. I'd love to take you to Bolivia, which is one of my favourite okay. places in the world. Uh, we built a hospital in um, in Cochabamba and, and they took me once to Lake Tikikaka, which is the highest body of water um, in the navigable body of water in the world. Wow. And that was fantastic. But, 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 but I'm taking you to Indonesia. Okay. We're going to go to central Sulawesi okay. and we're going to go to Palu, which also has a hospital. And it um, is a most amazing center of Salvation Army life. Wow. I, I just, when I went to um palu um we they took us out in a in a vehicle now i'm gonna have to admit we're gonna have to get get something straight here we're not doing a hike okay, okay. for a couple of reasons okay. one is i've had 10 operations on my left leg okay. so my left leg does not like hiking okay Fine. um i thought about cycling because i've got into cycling recently okay. but it's too mountainous okay. and also at about 35 celsius with 90 percent humidity we're not going to have fun so mm. we're going to use motorbikes i've thought about this we're okay. going to do motorbikes all right and we're going to get because there's lots of motorbikes in indonesia okay. and we're going to get some nice trail bikes and we're going to climb out of palu and okay. we're going to go up this road that they took me on and matt it was one of the most inspiring days because i i thought i was back with the army in those early days mm. when Booth planted all of those core along the Whitechapel Road. Mm. You know, they were just mm. core. Every little, mm. every village had an army core as you went out. Yeah. I think probably the A12, you know, that part yeah, of London yeah, better yeah, than yeah, me. Yeah. All of those roads. Yeah. Now that's what you've got going on in, wow. in, 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 in the hospital. Well, And they built this hospital. And I've also noticed this, where the army builds hospitals, it's often a real stronghold of, of salvationism. Mm. So you can see that in Nagakoil in India, which was the first army hospital. Yeah. It's got masses of army corps around it. You've got the same in Zambia with Chikankata. Yeah. The strength of the army is around that. Yeah. You've got the same in Zimbabwe, in Chueshi. So there's something about our hospitals, which mm. is what Aaron and I were supporting for mm. seven years, that really is just incredible. When integrated mission works, it's fantastic. Um, so mm. I, I actually have been in touch with the TC. I wrote to the TC, who's a, who's a great guy, mm. Colonel Yusak Tampai, um, because I'm going to ask that we bring Yusak and Widi with us, because you and I don't speak much Indonesian, nope. and we need, we need them. Okay, so, so, and they will just host us so well. And Yusak sent me an email, which actually just got this afternoon. Mm. So he said, you'll first go to Baku Bakulu Corps, then we'll go to Bunga Corps because they have three outposts. Then Bobo Corps, and we'll keep on going. There's a few non-Christian villages, and then we'll arrive at Makmur Corps, and then we go to Ampira Corps. Now I definitely remember going to Ampira Corps because Ampira has a clinic next to the Corps, wow. and so we were able to visit. And I remember standing there on their balcony, looking out over the paddy fields mm. and the bananas mm. and the mountains and volcanoes. Mm. They do have earthquakes, so we'll just have to to watch ourselves. And then we, we kept on going. Mm. And I asked him about this corps. It's called Ban Press Corps. It's very large. Mm. And that's about 600 plus soldiers. Wow. And I just, and they're young people. It's vibrant. Wow. It's such an exciting Salvation Army. So that's where I want to take take us, Matt. Now, when you say motorbikes, we should be clear. Are you, are you talk, talking proper motorbikes? Because I've ridden the 50cc Vespa for a few years. Are you talking proper motorbikes here? I think we've got to have a little bit, a bit of trail bike, a 125 right. okay. trail bike, you know, with a decent suspension. Uh, but the other thing you've done is you've raised the bar on uh, on actually doing your research in terms of asking someone in the place to tell us where we're going. I, I mean, I'm just going to say for anyone coming on the rest of the series, 
that's a new high <laughs> for the Alter in podcast. So I'm I'm very happy with that. Uh, it's not a place I've ever been. I've never I've never been to Indonesia. I would I would love to see it. I'm very excited about that. Now we get we are bringing some people with us. Now I know we're already bringing uh, the, the territorial leaders. That's fine. Now are they your living dead and fictional, or are you bringing others as well? Who's your living no, dead no. and fictional compatriots? Now we got we got. I'd like to bring Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela with us, President Mandela from South Africa. Mm. I think for having a person with us like that, I, I you know, growing up in in Rhodesia, which mm. Zimbabwe was called as I grew up, I I, I went to segregated schools. Mm. I went to a, I was born in a, in a whites only hospital. I um, went to a whites only corps. That's that's what I grew up with until I was 16. And if you'd asked me who what I thought of Mandela, he was a terrorist in jail. <clears throat> and so he should be in there. You know, that was what I that's what I would have thought as a, as a 15, 16 year old, because we saw this as a fight against communism and, 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 and anti-Christianity. That's how it was framed for me. So for me to have gone on such a long journey of then really appreciating who um, Nelson Mandela was and his influence on the world, mm. but there's so much I'd love to chat to him about and I'd love to understand his perceptions on faith. I think mm. he'd be really interesting mm. on how he handled um, a, a Muslim country like Indonesia and on what he said to people mm. as we were sitting around having chats. So I'd love to have Mandela with us. Fascinating. Okay, uh, Living Dead Fictional, who's coming with us? Okay, so this, this was a bit of a struggle um, because I, I'm not the great fictional guy. You won't get me Star Wars and all that sort of okay. stuff. I, I, but I decided to go with Ethan Hunt. Um, from Mission Impossible, yeah, okay. um, because I remember in my farewell um, speech at Chicken Carter when we left in 2000, I said that um, that this was Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. <laughs> running Chicken Carter Hospital, running Chicken Carter Mission mm. um, is, is frankly impossible. The fun, finances don't add up. And, and I was talking to friends recently who, who are still involved and yeah, it's still a blooming impossibility mm. To, to, mm. to run a small town mm. in the middle of the African bush. Um, so Mission Impossible has always been one of those escapist bits of mo- mm. movie for me. But I thought, look, we need someone who can fix the motorbikes. If we got any, any scrapes, he'll get us out of them because yeah. he always yeah. does. But also, I think he's a fairly damaged individual because he's been let down by so many successive governments and mm. girlfriends and mm. everybody else. He probably needs a bit of a bit of love, and I think you know the the, the rest of us will be will be good for him. So I mean, I, I certainly will be him. clinging on to him for dear life. So he'll certainly be getting that kind of physical energy from. He'll feel very hugged by the end of any bike trip. I'll tell you that much for nothing. He'll certainly feel the embrace of my fear behind him on this one two five. That's that's no, that's exciting. That's a good lineup. I'm very excited about that lineup. It sounds like a great place and, and it, like you say i i love these questions because i think they're so interesting for people and and i think it's wonderful when people then are able to kind of because everyone explains why but it's always fascinating to hear what brings people to that point and 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 i think it's just interesting to kind of figure out who goes where and also i'm quite excited about the idea of all those people talking and meeting along the way it's uh that's a very exciting lineup i like it now every guest on the altering podcast answers the same four questions we're into series three now the questions haven't changed so dean the first one is this how do we face change Look, life is change. I, I think that's how I sort of start. Nothing stays the same. Mm. And um, so so the question is that you, you, how are you going to live out your story and how are you going to cope with change? Mm. Um, growing up in Africa and, and living in Africa um, has really made me understand that, that change is constant and it, life is unpredictable. Mm. Um, people, people die really 
quickly in Africa. You know, it could be malaria, could be a road accident, it could be some other disease, mm. but a tragedy seems pretty close by. Mm. And so it's, it, I think the shock is really coming into a Western environment where before the pandemic, everybody thought they were sort of in control. You know, mm. now I think we've had 18, 24 months or whatever that has made you realize actually you're not in control. Mm. The, the illusion mm -hmm. of, of Western, you know, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and I know mm -hmm. what's happening in three months time. Um, so I think you've just got to accept you're not in control. Mm. And then you've got to also ask the question, well, what change are you looking for? Um, so you, you've, you've in a sense got to embrace the change process, mm. but also intentionally um be, be be trying to mold yourself through the circumstances into the person that, that god wants you to be mm. so, so change is there it's going to happen to you mm. the question is what are you going to change into and and, and how are you going to try and, and influence that process interesting yeah i mean I, the thing that strikes me about that what are the things that people can do to posture themselves to be in a place to almost get there you know the example of the pandemic that we've all gone through is a really good one i'm sure many people would have gone i know what i want my life to look like but then something like that happens like you say which is has been very unexpected in this particular part of the world what are the things you think that you've learned along the way that that allow people to give themselves the best chance of being able to do that i think you you do have to know yourself i i often go back to um uh, an incident that's very vivid in my life. And I think it's in 92 or 93. So I was a cadet at the William Booth College and I can see myself now sitting in the assembly hall. And um, some of the officers came back and they were very excited because they'd been to the first uh, church planting conference that they'd had at Sunbury Court. And the DCs had all been there. I think mm. quite a lot of people have been there praying very intensely about this mm. and putting pins in a map about where we were going to plant the army mm. in the years going forward. And I felt absolutely cold. Mm. I felt no inspiration by this. Mm. It, it made me feel really uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and of course, the, the, the trendy cadets, the vibrant cadets, they were all full of the spirit and they were going to be planters. That was like the spirit, you know, we're going to be planting the army. And the Lord very distinctly said to me, Dean, you're a plower, not a planter. Mm. And that has been true of my, my officership, mm. actually, as I've looked back. My job has been often to go in and plough mm. up fields which had already been used. Mm. They, were, they, were, they, they had produced good fruit, mm. uh, but they did need to be ploughed. They needed to be refreshed. Mm. The seed needed to be replanted. Mm. So I embrace change because I have a fairly clear understanding of what my role can be in that, which is a plower. Mm. Now, I'm not criticising the planters. Don't get me wrong. I, I, God bless them. And, and we all need to know our, our gifts. Mm. Um, but that's not that's not who I am. I think that's really interesting because I think, like you say, and 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 again, I I think this can often be the case, can't it? When anything new comes along, there can sometimes be a pressure to somehow feel like that should be your thing. I think we've all experienced that in every part of lives, whether that's parenting or you know we, all the things that we you know all of us talk about. Youth ministry, it's a huge deal people running Sunday schools and suddenly something new comes out and you expect it just to do it. I think there is a huge pressure on people to do that. And so that sense of knowing who you are and what you're here for is obviously hugely important. So that happens to you in 92, 93. Is that something you now look back and realize was 
part of your life before that? Was there a preparation for your life before that that brought you to that point? Or or was that like a light bulb? Look, I, th- I, I felt called to be an officer when I was 15. Mm-hmm. I can remember it quite clearly. Um, and and so I didn't get to the training college for another 12 years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in that time, I went off and, you know, did a degree. I got I got work. Mm-hmm. I worked in the South African mining industry. So I started life on a gold mine and then a coal, coal mine. And then I worked in an asbestos factory. So then I decided I'd better marry a doctor. Yeah. So I basically had some pretty unhealthy, <laughs> unhealthy jobs to that point. Yeah. But all of those... All of those prepared me for different aspects. And that's one of the joys, frankly, of being in your mid fifties, you can look back and can start seeing how the Lord's hand was on you. Now, when I was in my twenties, it was really hard to say, well, really, Lord, is this where you're leading me? What what does this look like? Um, So, but so there's that element of, okay, I feel called. I've got to accept this. This is going to be okay. Mm. I can trust the Lord with this. But now it's quite interesting to look back and say, okay, now I know why Mm. I learned so much running a mine hostel, because then I had to run a hospital. Mm. And actually, they're not that different. Mm. You know, you you need clean beds, you need food, Mm. you need maintenance engineers to come and fix stuff when they break you need recreational facilities for the staff Mm. your housing so Mm. i can see how the lord helped give me the skills i needed to be the plower that he wanted me to be Mm. um but it 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 is hard when you're in your teens and your 20s to look forward and to sort of anticipate that and frankly to trust that, that the lord knows what he's doing yeah and i think also really hard then when something new does come along and you're in a place of excitement to be the person who goes i don't know if that's me like i don't know if that's i don't know if that's what i'm here for i think that's a really i just think that's a really interesting way of looking at this question because i think that knowing who you are knowing who you know we are as people ultimately has a huge part to play i guess in how then we're going to face change and i don't think from my experience, most people aren't very good at knowing their purpose. Mm. That, that some of my most frustrating experiences with facilitating change has mm. been to have a group of Salvation Army leaders in a room mm. and talk about the purpose, the vision, and see the eyes glaze over. We're really good at writing a plan, making a budget, implementing a program. Mm. We can do all of that. Mm. But when we really try and articulate, well, what is the purpose? Because that's what we're changing for. We're not changing for change's sake. Mm. We're changing because we want to have the purpose clear. Mm. And so I've been really interested by this, the concept of flourishing, the concept of fullness of life Mm. as our purpose for a long time. And and I I think that that makes it really exciting that what we're really about, our purpose, mm. is that, that, as Jesus said, I, I've come that you might have life and, and life to the full, life mm. abundant, life mm. flourishing. Boy, does the world need that right now. If that's our purpose, I'm up for any change if, if that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's really exciting. So the second question is this, how do we move through suffering? Yeah, I think gently um, is, the, is the short answer. Mm. Um, I, I was thinking about the question. I knew this was coming up and, and I was taken back to Zambia and we were there between 96 and 2000. And this is before the arrival of the antiviral drugs. Mm. And so many people died when we were there. Um, I remember going very early on to the funeral of, a, of one of our workers, children, a baby had died about the age of three. And we were in this and I was working for a fantastic Zambian um, guy and uh, he as we walked out together of this funeral it, it had touched me and I said you know that's the first child's funeral that I've ever been to and he said what do you do when your children die wow. and I said they don't mm. um, 
and it was such a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. And and I remember when we came back after three years for a, for a break, Iron actually, my wife went and, and prayed at the mercy seat. And, and the lady who came to pray with her said, why are you here? She wasn't in uniform, mm-hmm. so they didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. She said, well, I've signed 300 death certificates in the last three years, and 90% of them were younger than me. And she was in her 30s at that wow. stage. So, you know, you live with suffering like that. And we leave after mm-hmm. four years. Mm-hmm. But those guys keep going. Mm. They keep living with it. Mm. Um, just a, a, a quick story. I, um, I remember a group of doctors coming over from, um, from the States, from San Francisco. Mm. And they would often come to Chicken Carter because we weren't that far from Lusaka. It was about a two-hour drive mm. and you could get a rural hospital. So a lot of the, the embassies and the WHO would send people out mm. to us for the day. And, and we went to this, I can still see it in my mind, we were in L Ward, and there was a 19-year-old woman um, dying of AIDS, and she had cryptococcal meningitis, so she was already in a coma. Mm-hmm. And we were standing around her bedside, and it, the, the tension was palpable in these doctors, because one of them said, I have the drugs in my office in San Francisco to heal her, and we don't have them. And I always remember that moment because it was just the injustice of the world. Yeah. Now, fast forward to 2016, and I'm at a meeting of the World Bank in, in New York, and I'm there in my army uniform, and we're at a coffee chat, and there's the great and the good around me. And the one guy says to his colleagues, because I'm there in uniform, he says, you know, do you know how influential the Salvation Army was with PEPFAR? Now, PEPFAR was the big US government antiretroviral mm. drugs. Um, he said, um peter now i didn't i, I wish i got all the names on mm. this thing but he said something like peter went to went to salvation army hospital in zambia and he saw a 19 year old girl dying of cryptococcal meningitis and he starts telling the story wow. that i've told it was i had current wow. going through my body but then he said he came back and he went to see george bush and he told george bush her story and petfar got the funding and millions of lives were saved. Wow. Now, I'm sure there was more going on with policy. Yeah, and I, yeah, I know enough about policy yeah. development to know that there would be a lot yeah, of other yeah. voices. But this guy saw the army uniform mm. and took me back to that bedside at Chicken mm. Carter in, in the late 1990s. So the I just feel that the suffering, if you're not in it, you can't, you can't duck it. It's a bit like change. You can't mm. pretend it's not going to happen to you. But how are you resilient? How do you live with it? And, and sometimes years later, you see the benefits of that. Mm. And you see how the community has benefited. And, and people don't die at Chicken Carter like that mm. anymore. Mm. They don't die like that across Africa mm. because, because there have been drugs and there has been generosity from the international community. And, and so health can change. Health policy, COVID, we, if you get the vaccine out to people, we can save lives. Yeah. It's just sometimes you've just got to break through mm. policy and 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 lives like like that dear woman um, can change the world i guess for for you then you, you know you talk about your wife coming home and and saying i've had to sign 300 death certificates and and you tell that just deeply moving story what do you do when your children die uh, i guess how does it change you and the way you deal with suffering that you you go out there as one person that that must change how you then deal with suffering in your own life yeah, yeah, it, it it does. One, I think it puts it in perspective. So you you sort of say to yourself, actually, you know what, we can do this. I mean, you know, um, 
in 2013, Iron went off to the gym on a Saturday afternoon and, and had a heart attack and, and actually died on the floor in the gym. Oh. And she had um, she she was blessed because there was a woman next there who knew how to do CPR and the ambulance arrived really fast and they they got her heart going after 14 minutes. And, and I think most when I tell that to to paramedics, they all look up because a sort of that's cut off time. Mm -hmm. That's when you stop mm -hmm. trying to resuscitate. So we went into that really difficult. Yeah. Iron didn't respond for six days, but she recovered. She she recovered, and I, I, it was it was fantastic, and, and and we were able to continue an international ministry, mm -hmm. and she was able to travel and, and and all sorts of stuff. And in the middle of that mm -hmm. really difficult personal circumstance, I was able to take myself back and say, "Now look, get a sense of perspective on this. You know, you're blessed. Your wife's mm -hmm. in best cardiac." One of the best cardiac units in the world mm. and and she did make a miraculous recovery and we had people praying we were told of thousands of people praying in mm. prayer meetings in india for her you know just that sort of stuff and you just feel that weight of support so um how do you live with suffering i i just think you you've got to go with the lord on these things i know it sounds really trite and you've got to have a belief in in a in a bigger perspective and you've got to realize that every so many people in the world face bigger challenges than us and we've just got to be resilient and 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 and, and allow the lord to carry us mm. i really felt carried by the prayers of other people at that time i'm gonna i'm gonna press you on that a little bit because of because you know we've known each other for 20 years so i, I think i'm allowed to but you'll tell me if i'm not and we'll cut this bit out of course but yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna press you on that because i guess for someone listening who goes for six days your wife isn't responding in a hospital and all of the things you've said, I think, are so powerful. But how how did you find the strength to do that in that moment? Because I think I'm sitting here going, I don't know if four days in, I'm going, I need to think about the bigger picture and perspective. I think four days in, I'm probably just in a different place altogether. So what what was it allowed you to find that perspective or, or, or have that strength? Yeah, look, let, let me also be honest, because I always re remember the chaplain trying to come around and do me a pastoral visit, and I wasn't in the mood. And I can, <laughs> I can remember being a little, <laughs> I was a little bit brusque in that moment. Um, look, I'm not going to tell anybody who reacts badly in those those situations or, or, or is very emotional, and you, you are. But I just want us all just to sometimes remember how privileged we are to actually have the NHS mm. and how privileged we are in, in a British society with so much support around us. Um, when we compare ourselves with our, with our friends as we're bouncing through on this motorbike yeah. through Indonesia. Uh, for, for people listening then, so for someone like me then who has only ever had that experience, what, what's the main thing you learned that allows that, that maybe we could take forward to go when suffering comes as we try to move through suffering that we could learn from your experience i i think it's really difficult to transfer i i think i did feel a great sense of of peace in my relationship with god mm. um and and iron also you know the first night she came home from the hospital the four of us were sitting around and the kids said to her so so what happened when you died mm. you know that sort of a question mm. and 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 sh and I think they were quite d disappointed because we didn't get that sort of grand tour of the world, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> yeah. the pretty gates yeah. and all that. But she said very simply, "I just had going through my mind Psalm twenty three, even though I walk through the valley oh, wow. of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil." Mm. And I think <clears throat> it's those those verses that we know so well mm. 
but then they become so real mm. because you are in the valley of the mm. shadow of death mm. you are and and some people don't make it i'm always very conscious when mm. i tell this story that yeah. there's some really good friends of mine who have had similar experiences and have not made it yeah. even dying in the uk yeah. so but that's not the, the point is not the valley of the shadow of death the point is i will fear no evil mm. for thou art with me mm. And God is with us. Mm. And so I think in those moments of doubt, whatever they are, whatever mm. suffering it is, mm. it is God is with us in this. We are not alone. Mm. We know the bigger story. Mm. We, we know the bigger purpose. Mm. Um, hang in there. Mm. And sometimes it is just hanging in there, but that's okay. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. Now, let's do our third choice on the walk. So we know where we are. We know who we're going with. What's on the playlist? What are we listening to? Okay, so um, one of my favourite songs, and I would use this um, if I was coming into land in a in a in a town in a city, and I was absolutely shattered, mm. and I just needed a boost. I put on Status Quo, rocking all over the world. All right. You know, a really good head banging yeah. bit of yeah. music that yeah. would get me going and fire me up. Um, I find another really interesting podcast, not, not to say your podcast isn't wonderful, but if people are looking for another mm. interesting podcast, I'm currently listening to the history of rock music in 500 songs. Mm. I don't know if you found this. No, one, I have not. But it's, it's, he's working his way through all the history of rock music. I think we're still well in the 60s oh, at the moment. Um, but it, I, I, I quite like that when I'm riding my bike, I put a podcast on yeah. and I'll listen to that because it intersperses music with talking in, yeah. and history yeah. and the analysis yeah. of the music and the influences oh, so that's something i'm enjoying yeah. um look i do like classical stuff i i, I still enjoy greek and elgar mm. and tchaikovsky and um but i i was thinking about a good salvation army piece of music okay. and i would go for for a brass piece of music resurgum by by eric ball okay which is a beautiful piece of music and and resurgum is i will rise again mm. And I sometimes worry about our theology of, of dying <laughs> in the Salvation Army. On, I'm, we, we, I'm, we, I'm worried. I'm worried here. I'm worried. Anytime that someone says I'm worried about, I sometimes worry about our theology of the Salvation Army about anything. I suddenly go, whoa, 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 hold on. What's going on here? Don't drag me into this. <laughs> I don't get in trouble anymore. Don't drag me into this one. But all right, I'm, I'm going with you, <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel. I'm going with you on this one. You tell me why you're worried about our theology. Well, you know, sometimes we, the, the Anglicans have this wonderful phrase, rest in peace and rise in, and I rise in that. glory yeah. I, yeah. and i do love that because this we have to be very careful that we do always remember that christ will come again to earth and that he will reconcile all things to himself and he will unite heaven and earth but sometimes the way we've used the phrase promoted glory it has been they've left this world they've gone somewhere else and this evil dark satanic world they've escaped and now they're safe well that's actually not what what jesus taught and it's certainly not what the scriptures teach and so i i think this idea of 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 us being united in the resurrection and the 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 the, 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 the resting in peace and rising in glory i think we we need to recover mm. a little bit of that so i love resurgum mm. for that and and i think eric ball was one of the army's mystics he's quite an interesting guy he, he, he flirted on the edges of the army upset a few people yeah um that's okay um uh, that's a very very eclectic mix we've got history of rock and roll uh a bit of status quo to get us into land some eric ball to take us there i like that that's like that's a good one of course all of that will be underpinned by my screaming on the motorbike just so you know so you're gonna <laughs> want to bring some 
just be at the top of it. Ah! So, you know, you'll need something to drown that out if nothing else. Now, uh, question three is this. How do we receive joy? So, I mean, look, I can give you I can give you the very sort of well, the great answer. I love I love cycling now. Mm. I'm really enjoying my cycling. Going out on the bike is, is giving me joy. A day at the cricket at Newlands in Cape Town is one of my highlights if I'm ever in Cape Town and I can mm-hmm. wangle a ticket off a friend to go to watch the cricket at Newlands. It's the best cricket ground in the world. Um, I'm a supporter of Chelsea Football Club. Chelsea win, Chelsea win. I'm full of joy. Um, but look, no, I think, look, what really gives me great joy is seeing people thrive and, and grow. Mm-hmm. And people and and and, and developing leaders. Um, so we we were really privileged in New York at the International Social Justice Commission to um, to inherit an intern program, mm. which has had some wonderful interns yeah, through it, and 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 yeah. really people coming to New York for a year. Mm-hmm. They contributed mm-hmm. a lot to the International Army. But what I realized was that officers couldn't come for a year. That that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we started an officer capacity building program and officers would come for three to four months wow. and we had some tremendous officers through actually one of them was an, an indonesian officer um captain olwen samuel powell and an, unfortunately she died in new york now that's mm-hmm. another story of great of great suffering mm-hmm. which i won't go into but olwen was just wonderful mm-hmm. um but we also had officers from pakistan and 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 um, jemima came from kenya and Aaron came from Kenya as well. But but Jemima, she grew up as an orphan in Kenya West and, and she went to the training college. Um, but she she talked to us about being in, in the hut after her parents had died and the water coming through the roof. And it was her with her two younger children, her, her siblings and people laughing at them. And she said, you know, we were the poor people of the village. And what what the Lord has done for me through the Salvation Army. She would always give the credit to God. But she came from rural Kenya and we dropped her into Manhattan for four months. And she just blossomed. And wow. I, even though I came from Africa, I should have been much more sensitive to a culture change because she told me after a couple of months that she'd never been on an escalator before. Wow. And we dropped her into Manhattan. And within about two weeks, she was making her own way across Manhattan to get to the office every morning. Um, but I just love seeing people thrive mm-hmm. like that. And then going back, and, we, and I visited her in Kenya and saw that she'd set up an orphan program. That's what she really wanted wow. to do. She wanted, She went to the UN, all the meetings on orphans and how do you support orphans? And she really threw herself into that. And then she's gone back and with her husband, they are supporting orphans in their core um, in, in rural Kenya. And um, so I love, I love that gives mm. just deep joy. When did you become aware of that? When did you, did you realize that was something that brought you such joy or is it something that's grown over your kind of, time as an officer i think something i should probably have said earlier which is an absolutely foundational principle and iron helped me with it mm. early on in our relationship actually um there had been a salvationist up in uh, in leeds central where where iron grew up who said all ministry comes out of relationships mm. now that was the line she used and and, and I, as i've explored that and learned more about it over the years um i ended up doing a, a doctorate in theology mm. and I remember just being blown away by the doctrine of the Trinity Mm. and that God is a relationship, Mm. Father, Son, and Spirit. So when we say we want to be like Jesus, we are wanting to be like God who is relationship. Mm. We want to be in relationship. Mm. So when I think back to to flourishing and and offices and capacity building and all of that, it is about relationships. Now, unfortunately, we haven't talked enough about that in the army. 
so as long as you know as long as you're um, um upright and, and 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 dutiful and truthful and 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 all of those words that that's okay but but actually it's not it, it's how are you relational and then how is the fruit of the spirit the joy the peace the patience the kindness the gentleness the self-control that galatians 5 stuff mm. how is that being shown so that's become absolutely central mm. to my understanding of of joy but probably also purpose in life mm. that it is about building deeper relationships in all aspects of life anyone who's listening at any stage of their own spiritual development that's a huge thing to to come to terms with isn't it that actually because again like you say i, I don't even know if it's even just a salvation army thing i think that actually in a lot of uh, wider church i think there can be this thing of what do you do is your ministry so the thing i do the thing i'm on the rota for the thing i turn up and do faithfully each week that's my ministry and again even our language around some of that and again it can become quite semantic but it is important the language around that when you realize that you know what a brilliant thing all ministry is relationship then you realize that actually if, if all you're doing is turning up and doing then then actually you're probably not well by that person's standards not mine by that person's standards you might not be doing ministry at all yeah and and there was a line in the in the handbook of doctrine now the handbook of doctrine is one of those books that most of soldiers go what why why would i want to read that mm. it's the, it's one of the best things the salvation army's published in years mm. the 2010 handbook of doctrine is fantastic and there's a line in there which says uh, i will treat all my relationships as holy covenants Ooh. and that is staggering mm staggering ambition not just to have a good holy covenant with my wife but but that person who really winds me up or that you know the next door neighbor or the person on the bus or the man that i mean that just removes otherness altogether right if if every relationship is holy and sacred and a covenant that's massive yeah so nobody's there as a contract nobody's there to, to do it's my right that you do this for yeah. me no it's it's a holy covenant now that has yeah. really challenged me down the years as to i mean we're we're, we're, we're getting into my answer from how, how are we maturing in service I, I i shouldn't be doing your job for you because that but that's where <laughs> i'm drifting in that's where i'm drifting to because it's it's a it's actually that's what maturity is about and and listen i'm not perfect i don't treat i know i don't treat all my relationships mm. as holy covenants but i do have to keep on checking myself and saying hold on a minute are you being covenantal mm. here or are you getting a little bit you know this is this is my right or mm. you're fundamentally doing it wrong and i'm going to tell you so mm. it, it's such a demanding but it all comes out of god being trinity god being father son and spirit and i want to share in that mm. as the creator has made the world so it's the right way to live life mm. to be in covenant it's a wonderful army word. We need to really recover this mm. this covenant word. Okay. Well, we are going to go to that question, but I need to about you ask you about snacks first because you know we've still got to we still got to make sure we get the fourth one. Otherwise, we'll have letters. So before we go back to that, and we will go back to that because I I'm I think that's fascinating. But before we do that, we'll take a break, and you can tell me what's in our snack bag in Indonesia. Okay. So. In the snack bag, I, I'm going South African on okay. this, okay, because I want biltong. Okay, I'm in. I'm, so, I'm happy with that. Biltong, which is um, dried dried beef, but fantastic. Or you could have um, kudu, or you could have um, all sorts of wonderful. Um, can I say on biltong, if you go into Tesco or 
Sainsbury's or wherever you go to get your shopping and you see biltong in that horrible plastic bag on the thing and then you eat that, you're going to decide you don't like biltong. That's not biltong, yeah. is it? Don't have no, that. No, you've got to have... You've got to have the stuff that's been made at home. Yes. Somebody's home home recipe. Yes. Maybe a bit of paprika on it. It's got to be the proper stuff. Um, but also Cook Sisters. I don't know if you ever had Cook Sisters. No. But that's, that's like a, it's a, another South African delicacy. So it's it's dough that's twisted together. Ooh. And then it, it sort of makes a deep fried Mars bar look healthy. Okay. I so you, you you sort of fry it and dip it in, in syrup. Oh. And, and it is just art. Oh, I mean, it'll give you a boost yeah, I'll take that. and then and then and then some mazoe orange which is the zimbabwean drink i grew up on mazoe orange there is nothing like a, 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 a glass of mazoe cold cold water with some little bit of mazoe orange at the bottom it's just heavenly mm. but i need to tell you that when we did this trip mm-hmm. um in in real life mm. with iron the problem was at every core you stopped they had food for you <laughs> So it was it was just impossible because yeah. I thought, OK, we're stopping for lunch. No, we weren't stopping for lunch. It was like morning tea. And then we had lunch yeah. and then every call wow. uh, on another occasion in Indonesia. I saw this, this some rice, which was great. Put that on the plate. And then I saw some chopped tomatoes. I thought that'll be nice. I put that on the plate and just the room went. <gasps> so I, I said, what have I done? No, no, no. They took the plate away. That that was the chilies. And I poured the chilies all over my rice. They took away the plate and gave me so this is kind, where I would, I'd have at least had one mouthful. <laughs> we, Colonel Zwidi and Yusek Tampai will look after us and make sure we eat okay. the right stuff. But we will not be hungry. Oh, I good. just guarantee oh, you I'm that. happy with that. I'm very happy with that. Now, the, the last question you've, you've, you've already started to talk about, and I, I was really, really interested in that, because the last question is, how do we mature in service? And it sounds like this covenant relationship thing has been quite foundational for you in how you've done that yourself and, and for others. Yeah, and I, I have listened to to episodes of this podcast, and I was very interested to hear how other people answered mm. this question as well. And and when I thought about it, I thought, actually, how do you not mature in service? If you're serving God, if you're genuinely a servant mm. and you're being filled with the Spirit, now, we don't ever arrive. Mm. We, we know that. Mm. There's no sense of, of arrogance or complacency there, but surely we will mature, we will become more Christ-like. Mm. And um, I, 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 am, I have been really taken by, I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called To Be Like Jesus, mm. which was Christian ethics for a 21st century Salvation Army. And I tried to in there explore all sorts of the hot potatoes mm. which, which the army face um, or people face. And, and they are some of the more contentious ones in the army. <clears throat> and as I thought through a lot of those issues and read lots of people around them, mm. it, it all comes back to this relationship stuff. Mm. I mean, how do we view um, abortion if it's not within the context of relationship? Mm. It's not, you, you can't just take this um, cold legalistic contractual analysis and say, bang, mm. that's it. Well, no, we, we, if, if I'm in a holy covenant relationship with 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 the, the people involved in this how am i going to respond to that or how am i going to respond to racism in that mm. context i listened to your 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 great podcast with marion platt mm. and 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 really admire marion and, and and loved what he was saying mm. but i i want to listen to those people who had that direct experience of racism not some white privileged guy who thinks he knows what it's going on going on about it and, and pontificating so 
wherever we are dealing with the real stuff of life, we have to see it in the context of relationship. Mm. But if we're doing that, surely we will be maturing in service. And by maturing, we will start to show more of the fruit of the spirit because this is God's mission. It's not ours. Mm. So when we get all of that stuff aligned, I would hope that through the power of the spirit, we are maturing. And, and when we're not maturing, we just need to be pulled up on it and say, well, why, why have you got a blind spot on this particular issue? So then I guess the question is, why wouldn't someone, what, what are some of those things that might be a, a, a blockage or a hurdle or something that allows someone to continue to actively be present and to do and to all of that? what might some of those things be in your experience look our personalities do get in the way you know we, we are human and mm -hmm. we've got we've got our own uh, idiosyncrasies and our own um ego uh, and our, and we do all of us have our blind spots mm -hmm. and that's where you do need good friends around you and good family who can who can help you see them um and and i think one of the challenges for for officers if i speak you know mm -hmm. about folk like me is sometimes you can become cocooned and you don't actually hear that and you, you, people are actually not honest enough with you. So I, I think we do need more honesty. Um, there's far too much passive aggression in the army. You know, we're passive, 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 and then, then there's a blow up rather than actually dealing with stuff in a, in a upfront, mature, mm -hmm. calm, mm -hmm. gracious mm -hmm. way you know, none of us are perfect. So let, let's get over that one. Um, so we can all improve. But it's how do we address conflict? How do we disagree with each other? And, and frankly, sometimes I think we've just copied the world too much in the way that we deal with disagreements. Um, mm. You know, I do get worried. I've got I talk about being a plower and a plower is a disruptor. But I'm not someone who wants to blow up the army. I, I, I've never felt the spirit tell, telling me that that's what mm. is the way to go to blow it all up. Mm. It's, but I do hear that sometimes, and it worries me because I think if we are treating every person as holy covenant, even that person who really winds us up and doesn't see mm. what we see, mm. it's not mature just to, you know, throw our hands up and, and, and walk away. We've got to find ways to move together in this. And that is really hard work. Mm. I'm not dressing this up as easy, but I'm passionate about helping the army to learn how to disagree well mm. and, and how to humbly move forward with the Lord. So again, I guess some of that relational stuff's really crucial in terms of if you are viewing someone as, as covenant, if you're viewing someone as a, as a, as a holy being, then actually then how you engage with that person will have to change yeah and, and you know we've we've just come out with the the updated um identity uh, for, for the salvation army a new vision and mission statement and the love god love others um four words which i think is inspiring a lot of people mm -hmm. as, as to really at the heartbeat of what the army is about it's mm -hmm. these two things working together mm -hmm. but but one of those five mission priorities is seeking justice and reconciliation and one of the things I've always regretted about the International Social Justice Commission is that it's called the International Social Justice Commission. Mm. I wish it had been called Justice and Peace or Justice and Reconciliation. Mm. And so when we came to um, revising the mission state or the mission priorities, um, I was really keen to make mm. sure it was seeking justice and reconciliation because we can all be very just, yeah. but actually it's about covenant and it's about reconciliation. Yeah. And that's why we have Mandela along with us to help us to understand right. how to do that better.
Yeah. How we view other people, how we engage with other people, how we disagree, that that feels really important. I know that part of your job at the minute, you are in the midst of launching quite a big piece for people within the Salvation Army and outside the Salvation Army uh, to, to give feedback. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because this will come out, I think, before that goes live. Yeah, so I'm chairing the Structure Coordination and Design Group, which, which is being tasked by you know, reporting into the Cabinet about our structural issues, but we realize that it's not just about structure. It's, it's, it's really process is important, coordination is important, but what's really important is local mission flourishing. Mm. Now, what needs to happen for your core, your center to flourish? And, um, you know, we can sit at THQ and we can fiddle around with divisional boundaries and we can discuss job descriptions till the cows come home. But essentially, what is it that we need for local mission flourishing now, especially coming out of COVID? Mm. A few people have said, well, we had that. We had the, the great mission conversation. When I went back and looked, at it, it was 2014 mm. that that's when it happened. So that's a long time ago. Some of your listeners, you know, certainly didn't have a voice into that. Mm. Um, so but the world's changed in the last mm. seven years. So we've got to really have that discussion and not just for THQ's sake, but for the local core sake, for the local center's sake, and reorientate the army to focus on what does local mission flourishing look like? Mm. Um, so we're gonna have some forums. In fact, they started uh, recently um, and they'll run through until the um, end of November. Mm. There's also gonna be a survey which will be out um, about the end of October, running right. through to the end of November. And each core and center is encouraged to have those conversations. We're gonna then look at all of that information and we're really praying that some really key themes will come through mm. as to what um, our faithful, loyal Salvation Army leaders, passion, feel called by God mm. to be where they are. What is the spirit saying to us? Mm about how we move this army forward. Because yeah. as I say, I am convinced in, in our mission. I've got no doubt about it. And we can see it working in different mm. places in the world. And its leadership is the key. Mm. Not just what happens at DHQ, but yeah, most yeah. importantly, what happens at core local leaders, your youth leaders, yeah. that's where relationships happen. That's where good examples, that's where people flourish. Yes, we will make sure that that link goes on as well whenever that comes out. And I'm sure the guys at at Ethan Children's Ministry, and it will share that as well. Uh, Dean, listen, thank you so much. It's been absolutely lovely to catch up with you again and to talk to you. Thank you for your for your answers. Thanks for being so honest. Thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for describing a great trip. I mean, literally, anyone who's coming on afterwards, if you haven't gone ahead and actually created a plan of where we're actually going, you really shouldn't be turning up. You know, I want to know stops <laughs> along the way. I want to know tour guides' names. I want to know what I'm sitting on. I want to know every detail. This has been a new bar for series three. Uh, but but most of all, thank you for for giving up your time and joining us tonight. It really has been lovely to see you. Thank you, Matt. It's been a privilege. God bless you. Another huge thank you to Dean for joining us on the Alter In podcast. What an incredible breadth of experiences he has had and so much of the world and of the Salvation Army world that he's been able to see and learn from. And we're just really grateful he came and shared that with us here. That's it for this episode, but don't forget to share the podcast across your social media channels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you could give the show a rating or write us a review. All those things help us get the show heard by even more people. And you can also now access our brilliant sketch notes and small group questions that accompany each episode. Just search for the All Terrain Podcast or click the link in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast. 